A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today, we're looking at Egypt, where President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi is being re-elected in what's widely seen as a pretty phony exercise in democracy. So what does the future hold for an increasingly autocratic Egypt? And what role will the country play in the region and the wider world? Joining me on the line from Cairo is our correspondent there, Heba Salah, and here in the studio, Andrew England, who reported from Egypt for many years. Heba, this is a presidential election in which they've been pretty careful to ensure that there is no real opposition. Can you explain uh, how we arrived at that situation? Well, yes, in the run-up to the election, uh, candidates, at least credible candidates, who tried to run found themselves excluded. One former chief of staff, a senior um, officer, or at least a former officer, uh, was announced his candidacy and was promptly arrested. Um, another uh, former military figure, Ahmed Shafi, who was a finalist in presidential elections in 2012, he also announced his candidacy from the United Arab Emirates, where he lived. Um, he was promptly deported to Egypt and um, disappeared for a while. We understood him to be uh, staying under some kind of guard in a hotel. Uh, and uh, after a few weeks, he relinquished his his candidacy. He said he was no he didn't believe he was the right person to run for office. Um, other people um, who were considering running also withdrew, citing conditions uh, which they said were not amenable to a free and fair election. And there is, in fact, one candidate against uh, President Sisi, but he's a pretty apologetic sort of fellow, isn't he? Yes, indeed. Musa Mustafa Musa is um, an obscure politician, hardly known in Egypt, and he was drafted in at the last minute, presumably to avoid the embarrassment of a one-horse race. Uh, even on the day that he presented his candidacy papers, if you looked at his Facebook page, he was still declaring his support for President Sisi for a second term in office. So no one takes his candidacy seriously. So are people taking the election seriously at all? I mean, is there a sense in Cairo that there is actually a vote going on? I think it is fair to say that some people are taking the election seriously. The turnout does not look very big, but this is an election happening over three days. Uh, so it is hard to make a decision, but reports from around the country say there aren't that many people voting. But there are still people who believe that uh, this is a vote for Egypt, that this is a vote for Egypt's stability, not necessarily a vote for a particular president. I mean, people are under no illusion that uh, Mr. Sisi will win and that, that this is not a real election, but they feel that if they don't go out and vote, then somehow the state itself will be threatened. And that, of course, has been the kind of message that's been sent by the authorities, sent by the media, that this is a, a, a vote to silence Egypt's enemies, not a vote to choose a president. 
So, Andrew, let's uh, let's look a bit further at the background. Explain to us how General Sisi came to power and what kind of regime he's set about establishing. Yeah, this all really goes back to 2011 and uh, what was termed the Arab Spring. And you had the Tunisian Revolution, then you had the revolution in Egypt. After 18 days of mass protest, never been seen before, uh, Hosni Mubarak, who'd been president for 30 years, was forced to step down. Now, he was a military man, and the military effectively saw the transition after his uh, after he was ousted. Uh, the military then allowed elections. You had elections in 2011 parliamentary and 2012 presidential. The Muslim Brotherhood, which had been banned um, under Hosni Mubarak, but had been able to participate in society and actually have um, MPs run as independents in parliamentary elections, then contested the elections, did well in the parliamentary elections. And Mohammed Morsi, a Muslim Brotherhood leader, um, narrowly won the presidential election. So we had a Muslim Brotherhood government, essentially. But they quickly fell out with state institutions, upset many secularist Egyptians. They were seen to be taking a country on an Islamist slant. They started talking about supporting uh, rebels in Syria. There was a lot of public uh, disgruntlement with the Muslim Brotherhood, and that led to... Uh, protests. We're not quite sure who organised the protests in June 2013, and they were mass protests. And there's no doubt that uh, when the military did step in and um, Sisi took over, he was popularly backed. It was a popularly backed coup. And then he went to elections in 2014, and he won 97, 97% of the vote. There was only a 48% turnout then, but we can say that you know Egyptians were tired of instability, worried about the Islamist bent the country seemed to be taking under the brotherhood genuinely supported him now i think his popularity has been hit by economic reforms he's taken he agreed uh, a 12 billion dollar loan package with the imf as the economy was all sort of on the brink of collapse almost um, but that meant cutting subsidies raising vat and devaluing the pound which lost half its value that meant inflation shot up which you know hurts the ordinary egyptian now those economic concerns uh, have hurt ordinary Egyptians across the country and have hit his support. On the other hand, whilst he's been pushing through the economic reforms, you've had a kind of a more oppressive autocratic uh, hold on the country taking over. So as well as Islamists being arrested, you know, secular activists have been arrested. uh, There's been a crackdown on the media. And that's also, you know, created uh, concerns about his leadership. So, yes, he's still supported by those Egyptians who think that he kind of brought stability back to the country and did deal with the threat of Islamism. Uh, I think we can say that his support is waning, but few would question, uh, few would doubt that he would win the election if it was free and fair. And Heba, I mean, Andrew mentions there the economy. And obviously, a lot of people live very close to or even below the poverty line in Egypt. And there has been this problem, I gather, with inflation. So what are people's mood about the economy? Because sometimes outside the country, you do encounter businessmen who say, well, you know, whatever CC's records on human rights, he stabilised things. Egypt is kind of looking more interesting as a place to invest. 
Well, I think on the level of the population, people are suffering as a result of high prices, as a result of inflation, which topped 33% last year. It's still high at 14.4%. So for ordinary people, it's been unrelieved hardship. But having said that, uh, business feels that possibly the worst is behind us. They say these reforms needed to be um, implemented, so they're, they're glad that so- finally they are in place. But of course, it's still a difficult environment for them to, uh, to work because interest rates are still very high because of inflation. And um, Egypt has for a long time had a reputation as a difficult place to do business in. The the authorities say that they are working on uh, cutting bureaucracy, improving conditions for business, but there are still complaints. The inflation itself, what's that driven by? Is that a devaluation of the currency or cutting subsidies or some mix? The main reason has been the the devaluation of the currency. It was devalued in November 2016 and immediately um, uh, plummeted to to half its value against the dollar. Then there's been a reduction in fuel subsidies, energy subsidies. That, too, has contributed to inflation. There's been the introduction of VAT instead of a sales tax, so a few more percentage points and across a wider range of items. So all these elements together have pushed up inflation. And, Andrew, give us a sense of where Egypt fits in in the region now, because... Um, there is this incredible division between the Saudis and the Qataris, which seems to be now splitting the Middle East, where countries are being asked to to choose sides. And then there's also the wider question of where the United States plays in, because uh, obviously President Obama was cautiously in favour of the Egyptian revolution, and even George W. Bush's people were putting some pressure on Mubarak to democratize. Uh, But do you think the US is back to just saying, well, if this guy can keep Egypt stable, that's enough? Yeah, I think that's the overriding sense. I mean, there was a surprise last year when the US did cut $100 million of military aid to Egypt and delay another $195 million. And it gives about $1.3 billion to the Egyptian military. And that's the historical context. You know, Egypt's one of only two Arab countries with formal relations with Israel, has a border with the Gaza Strip, has a border with Israel. So it's a very important country. It's the Arab world's most populous country. So it's always been seen as strategically important and a US ally. Now, I think we're seeing across the region, we're seeing sort of the return of strongmen, this kind of autocratic leadership that's going to sort of press ahead and do what they think is best. And I think the West can be concerned about the sustainability of this and be concerned about the human rights abuses and the oppression. But after the upheaval caused by the Arab Spring of 2011, you know, which triggered conflicts in Yemen, in Syria, in Libya, then I think stability is the key. And Egypt is you know, it's crucial. It's geographic location. It's on the Mediterranean, the borders of Gaza, the borders of Israel means that it is a strategic country and the sheer size of the country. So we're seeing, you know, yes, a little bit of a slap on the wrists over human rights issues, but no more than that. And CC is very much in alliance with the Saudis and the Emiratis, not as anti-Iran as, say, Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia, but cautious in Iran has hostile relations or 
or poor relations, I should say, with Qatar, because Qatar was seen to support the Muslim Brotherhood. So you're seeing Egypt, again, sort of seen as that critical power in the region in alliance with Saudi Arabia, which is a traditional ally and an ally of the US. And Heber, I mean, the picture that Andrew paints of Egypt's international environment there sounds fairly benign. There are not many threats. And yet I gather a lot of the rhetoric of the CC government uh, during the election and even before is about foreign plots against Egypt, including involving the foreign media, I'm afraid, people such as the Financial Times. It is indeed the rhetoric. There's a lot about foreign plots. The the whole 2011 uh, revolution was perceived in some quarters as a foreign plot, and that narrative is very often repeated on television and on the media by by pro-regime presenters not necessarily by officials, but by, I mean, you, you, you sort of get a sense that the whole discourse is that Egypt has been the target of conspiracies. We've seen it in 2011. People who want to, the word here is bring down the state. And then you're being told, look at uh, Libya, look at Syria, look at Iraq, look what the absence of a state does to a country. So Egypt is lucky that the army stepped in and that it has re-established all and stability. Critics in the foreign media, people who highlight human rights violations, for instance, sort of fall victim to that discourse. They're being seen as people who defend terrorists and as part of that international plot against Egypt. So to conclude then, Andrew, I mean, how stable, admittedly from a fair distance, does Egypt look? I mean, the main claim that President Sisi makes, we just heard from uh, Heber, is, well, at least Egypt isn't in the horrible state of Assyria or Libya. But do you think he has established a new basis for the country? I think that's a a great question, Gideon. I mean, even Western officials question the sustainability of this kind of volatile cocktail of tough economic reforms, which everybody would agree Egypt needs, but the oppression. You know, you've got a population of nearly 100 million, widespread unemployment, widespread poverty, a lot of the unemployed are graduates. Can you push through economic reforms that create pain for the ordinary Egyptian on the street whilst keep this lid on any social tensions, any social dissent. Now, is that going to be sustainable in the long term? You know, we all know Sisi is going to win this election. I think the best case scenario is that he then allows some sort of space to open up. So there is some sort of uh, vent for people's frustrations. There is some more discourse. There is some more freedom for sort of some sort of political discourse. Because at the moment, there are no party politics. Political discourse has been crushed. Sisi himself says he's not a politician. So I think that's the concern. You know, yes, you know, he's right to push through economic reforms. Yes, you know, he's seen as uh, someone who did bring stability to Egypt after the sort of the chaos of the revolution and then the Muslim Brotherhood years. But can he sustain stability or keep stability whilst keeping this kind of oppressive autocratic lid on any form of dissent. Well, with that uh, interesting but open question, we'll leave it there for this week. Thank you very much indeed to Andrew England here in the studio and to Heba Salah in Cairo. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye.